We'll start by saying this much about Dune Part 2. Neither Bahe nor I have any notes. No notes, Denis Villeneuve. No notes. Well done, Denis. No notes. That was pretty sensational. I will say this much. Dune Part 2 is not, I repeat, is not a sequel. It is Mm. literally Part 2. It is Episode 2. If you watch Dune and Dune Part 2 back-to-back, it is essentially one long movie. This movie begins minutes after the first one ends. And so it is accurate to say that Denis Villeneuve didn't have enough time to tell the whole story of the first book of Frank Herbert's Dune. And so he genuinely split it into two movies. Yeah. This isn't like the Deathly Hallows part one and part two, where it felt like there was a tremendous amount of filler. Mm. What makes this telling of Dune so phenomenal? And I have to say, it is quite possibly the definitive adaptation of these novels. I can't think of a better way to tell the story because if you are a fan of Frank Herbert's work, this is a true depiction of what you read on the page. I think what makes this adaptation so fantastic is that you feel the same journey that Paul takes in the novels. Every time we talk about book-to-screen adaptations, we're always considering what literature can do, right? How it allows you to get into the mind of a character and you're allowed to explore what makes a character a character. And I think what Danny Villeneuve has done is that he's managed to bridge that gap. As I am watching Dune Part 2, I understand Paul's journey. And all of it is done with so little exposition. And so by the time you get to the end of the film, every single moment feels completely earned. Yeah. I mean, this is the intermediate version of what the hero's journey is. I think the original Star Wars stories are the sort of entry-level explanation of what a hero's journey is. But I feel like Denis Villeneuve's Dunes Part 1 and 2 feel like a more intermediate-level retelling of that journey. All those moments aren't told to you. They're shown to you and you see Paul Atreides earn the call to action, earn the hero's journey that he goes on and i feel like that is an important distinction to make i think the other thing that's very interesting about this film and what it really shows off is how visual effects and cgi and production can be used in service of a story a lot of the time when we watch a major hollywood blockbuster it almost feels like there is a story And then in between that story, there is a showcase of visual effects, whether it's a giant CGI battle at the end or whether it's an all CGI character or something like that. It also feels like a distraction in those films. And in this movie, it completely services the story. At no point does this movie feel like an indulgence. And that for me is tremendous. I think when you get caught up in these sorts of epic stories, it's very easy for writers and directors to kind of lose themselves because you're telling something of such a scale. You're working on this incredible, massive production 
And yeah, there is plenty of room to be self-indulgent. And this movie doesn't feel like that at all. Coming from a guy who hasn't read the books, this feels like a very disciplined adaptation. The stories feel complete. The stories feel sufficiently told. It's not overly done. In fact, I would go so far as to say there are bits where he, Denis Villeneuve, really just moves the story along. In a different film that isn't that isn't concerned with emperors and the fall of the House of Atreides and isn't concerned with the Bene Gesserit, there would be things that a filmmaker would spend time on, right? Like, at one point, Paul Atreides and his gang of merry men decide to go somewhere. In a lesser film, you would see them start packing up. You would see them leave the cave, etc. Here, there isn't any of that because Denis Villeneuve knows that you know what that looks like. You don't need to see them gather up their things. It's not special. So they move it along. I feel like all the scenes here are important for reasons that become clear as the movie plays along. As much as I think that sometimes that can feel rushed, I feel that it is also necessary in this film because he wants your focus to be on the important things of the story and not just the getting there. That's interesting you say that because I thought the movie had a real pace to it, not in a rushed way, but I thought what worked about the film was that each one of those sequences felt like it serviced Paul's journey. Mm. You know, in the first movie, it was very clear. You had this young, immature hero who had come to a strange world and life as he knew it was completely ripped away from him. And that's where the first movie ended. He met a group of people, some of whom believed he might be a chosen one. He doesn't quite believe it himself. And the movie kind of ends there. This movie is all about how he becomes that reluctant hero. Yes. And what Timothy Chalamet and Denis Villeneuve managed to capture perfectly is throughout the film, you aren't convinced if Paul himself is convinced mm. that he is the chosen one. Yes. And I always felt that that was a really interesting theme in the book as well, because he knew that he had to use people's beliefs because that was the only way he was going to get what he wanted. That was the only way he was going to get revenge. And that was the only way he was going to win. Yeah. But at no point in that first book are you utterly convinced that he is convinced. And right up until the final moments of this movie, in the looks exchanged between Paul and Chani, you're still like, oh, this is good. Even after doing the things he's done, even going through the things he's gone through, even seeing things that he's seen, it still feels like a political play. It's always that. It always is revenge against the emperor, me becoming the emperor because that is my rightful place. And I think that's what made the book so good. Yes, the books were science fiction, but the books were also politics and religion and belief and faith and false prophets. And it was all of that stuff. Which is what all great science fiction should do, right? It should yeah. hold a mirror up to our own society. And it's fantastic how much Denis Villeneuve managed to actually capture. Once again, like Lord of the Rings, these shows that we've seen, these adaptations, whether they were from books to screen or animation to live action, you're never going to get a complete picture of what was in the original. And this version too is what William Goldman would call the good bits version. Mm. There's a lot in the books. 
And if you are interested, please go read the books. There's a whole bunch of interesting sci-fi concepts that Denis Villeneuve doesn't actually explore in the movies. You know, the whole idea of how they travel through space and time, why spice is important, yeah. all of that is explored in the novels. Here it's mentioned a couple of times in the first movie, but it's hardly spoken about at all in the second movie. But you know, when Paul Atreides threatens to disrupt all spice flow, that it's going to have an impact on the universe. And I like that. I like that Denis Villeneuve didn't get bogged down by the details. He knew that the story he wanted to tell was one that was romantic, political, and religious. And it centers around Paul Atreides' journey. That's all there is, right? I'd have loved to have known more about the spice. I'd love to have known more about the Benny Gesserit. But I don't need that in this film. For me, at least, that's why the books exist. Oh, no, I agree with you. Yes. Right? Like, yeah. like I, mean, I mean, we feel the same way about The Lord of the Rings as well, in that it is a version of what we read in the books. And hopefully, if we want more, there is a whole new world to explore in the novels. Yes. And honestly, after finishing this movie, I think a lot of you will want to know what happens next. And a lot of you might go and pick up Dune Messiah and be like, where does this go from here? And Dune Messiah isn't a big book. So it's actually a pretty thin volume. So after you finish Dune Part 2, you can buy Dune Messiah and you can get through it pretty quickly. Like Dune Messiah is like Hobbit size. Oh, okay. I don't know if I've ever said this out loud, but like after seeing Dune Part 2, I'm tempted to pick up the book. I'm tempted to have a go at it. Just only because, like you said, I've been introduced to a world that is fuller and has more detail than the film has the time or should have spent time on. And I feel like I'm curious enough to commit to a book. But also it's a very mature work, right? In the sense that there are a lot of lesser works that would feel the need to explain every aspect of this world to you. And I think with Dune and Dune Part 2, you're immediately immersed into the world. The world exists. You just didn't know about it. So here you are on a journey into that world. So there aren't these expositionary notes where someone goes, wait a minute, let me explain how ornithopters work. Even then, and this goes back to what I was talking about earlier, some bits it feels like, I wouldn't call it rushed. Rushed sounds negative. I feel like Denis Villeneuve makes very active, conscious decisions about what he shows. At one point in the film, Stilgar sends Paul Atreides out on this, literally a side quest to cross the desert. We see none of it because we immediately come back and he's successfully crossed the desert. I feel like that's a character moment. I feel like that's a moment where you learn about Paul. I feel like you learn about the constructs of Arrakis with the jinns that was mentioned by Stilgar. I was excited by that only to then suddenly be told that this is how a wind sail works and he's now riding the worm. But also what's interesting about that moment is how he subverts that moment and uses it instead to show the blossoming relationship between Paul and Chani. Yes. It isn't, ha ha ha, let's see this outworld um, navigate the desert. Can he do it? And yeah. then we spend five minutes with Paul struggling with a spider or a worm or a centipede or something, right? No, instead, it actually builds the relationship with Chani and it shows us just how much she cares for him, which is a very cool subversion. 
I go back to what I said earlier. It's a choice that Denis Villeneuve has made. I'm not saying it's the wrong choice. It's a choice that I wasn't expecting. I was expecting to watch Paul walk off into the desert and struggle with the gins or struggle with the centipedes that the small ones are okay and my hand is not in any way, shape, form describing a small centipede. I thought I wanted to see that, but in the grand course of this adventure, two and a half, two forty minutes later, I don't think I needed that. I know he survives because <laughs> there's a lot of movie to go. So I don't need to see it, right? And I think that was clever. Also, just going back to Fanwank. Okay. Because we've seen people do it badly. Most recently, probably with Avatar The Last Airbender, where the creators were so intent on capturing great moments from the animated show that they forgot to tell a story because they wanted to service the fans because they were so afraid that they might offend the hardcore fans of the animated show. Denis Villeneuve hits all of the points that you expect him to hit. All of the cool moments in the novel, whether it's the climax, whether it's the introduction of Fade, all of this stuff is there for you. And so if you are a fan of the novels, he hits those marks and you will be grinning from year to year whenever he does. And yet, none of it feels like a, hey, looky here moment. We've got stuff for you too, fans. The introduction of Austin Butler's Fade. In the trailer, we see those moments, right? We see those moments in black and white. And I couldn't wrap my head around it. Watching the trailer, I don't know why those sequences in the trailer were in black and white. I was doing stupid things by not trusting Denis Villeneuve. I was thinking to myself, is it a flashback? Maybe that's why it's in black and white, right? Is he trying to be arty? It's my, you know, 30 plus years of cinema going experience that when you do a flashback, it's in black and white, right? Or if you're going to do black and white, it means it's a flashback. However, that bit was just fantastic. It's small, but as someone who loves good production design, to watch those sequences play out. I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but watch as how these characters move from artificial light to that world's sunlight. It explains everything. Listen to the dialogue. Watch these characters move in and out of artificial light and sunlight. I thought that was just... I still am getting goosebumps just thinking about it. The way the Benny Gesserit's costume changes in the different lights. I just think that it's bits like that that really gets me going, and I loved it. All of the production decisions, man. I mean, the Harkonnen layers, Gady Prime's artificial light versus sunlight, the Fremen caves, the pools of water, the sandworms, yeah. riding the sandworms, going into the southern hemisphere, like all of the production design and how different each one looks. Mm. If you're a northerner, the design of your abodes look different from the southern designs. And yeah, there is so much there. The way House Harkonnen is so brutalist versus Atreides. When they adopt the Atreides logo and the Fremen use it because, you know, Paul is now Muad'Dib on their flag, just the subtle design and production decisions that have taken place are absolutely fantastic. It is completely of the world. The decisions have been perfect. A lot of those decisions are perfect. Again, dude, Denis, no notes. No notes. 
To be fair, Denis Villeneuve hasn't had a misstep. All of his movies have been absolutely fantastic. Arrival, Blade Runner, Sicario, Prisoners. Not a misstep. He's made phenomenal films. And I know he said that he wants some time before going into another Dune movie, but he really wants to make a part three, which will adapt Dune Messiah. And part three hasn't been greenlit by Warner yet. But I have a feeling, given the rave reviews and the pre-hype for this movie, Mm. and of course, all of the conversations about how much this movie is going to make, I think Deadline is currently predicting that the movie is going to open to 170, 180 million. About 90 million in the US and Canada, and another 90 million overseas. Which is huge, because the 2024 box office has been pretty shit. And I think... I think the premium screens with IMAX, I think Dune has a good chance to fill people with a little bit of confidence money-wise. It's going to set the bar high. I think everybody else then has to hit this. That said, I think it is a movie that is absolutely deserving of it. When we say we have no notes, I think it works on multiple levels. On the one level, everything about this film has been done with such care and attention. Hans Zimmer's score is perfect. I think the production design, as we said, is incredible. It's got one of the best lineups we've seen in a long time. This is like, I would say, the 21st century version of the Brat Pack, right? Austin Butler, Florence Pugh, Zendaya, Chalamet, everyone's in it. And they deliver such stunning performances. Yeah. And then on another level, it works so well as an adaptation. Don't forget that so many people have tried and failed and failed spectacularly. Alejandro Jodorowsky tried and failed. David Lynch tried and failed. I mean, the sci-fi adaptations were all right, but they felt very TV and a little cheapy. But this one hits it on every level. Yeah. On the drive from the screening today, I was thinking to myself that I don't know what to say about this movie. Only because I enjoyed it so much. Like, again, third time, no jokes, no notes, right? Because there's nothing to comment here. The film works. And for me to tell you anything about it is going to do the film a disservice because you're not going to be able to experience it the way you should. You should go in there just thinking of the previous film as opposed to really considering what anybody has said about it. Which is why I got very annoyed. And I think we spoke about this in our review of the first movie as well. But I got very annoyed at the critics and the commentary around the first movie, which went on and on about how it didn't finish. Mm. And I think I feel the same way about Spider-Verse as well, because... That wasn't supposed to be a standalone film. It's not like the MCU dropping Easter eggs and hints and post-credit tags. Yep. That was literally episode one or part one of a film. It was Mm. always meant to be two movies. And I believe that when we go into a cinema and we go into a film knowing that, we should judge the movie based on what it is. Yeah. I'm not going to get upset after watching the pilot episode of a TV series and then give it a bad review because, you know what? It ended on a cliffhanger and I'm upset. I can't wait for episode two for next week. So I'm really angry that I didn't get all of it right now. And I feel like it was a complete misread 
or an intentional misread of what was going on. Because when the movie was sold, it was sold to the public as, hey, this is too much movie for just one movie. Yeah. And I think it's the only way to do the novel justice without having a 10 episode TV series. In the five hours that Denis Villeneuve has, I think he has distilled the novel in such a way that he has captured the essence and tone of what Frank Herbert wanted to do. Mm. He has beautifully portrayed the action and the emotions and the romance and all of that is there. And he has taken you into this new world that hopefully you are going to want to stay in and explore in whatever way, whether it's going to be on the Max TV series, whether it's going to be in the novels. I think there's a video game coming out. There are multiple avenues now for you to explore the world of Dune. And let me tell you, it's very interesting because I don't think anyone thought that Dune would have this kind of potential because George Lucas already ripped it off and made the most successful franchise on the face of the planet. Mm. But somehow, Denis Villeneuve has taken something which is incredibly intellectual and brought it down to a level where I believe it has mass appeal. What Denis Villeneuve has done is made the story more accessible, made it more for the masses, like you said. And I feel like that is the point of cinema. I will say, I guess now that I've thought about it, I have one note, minor note. Zimmer's musical cues in this one feel less than the first one. Oh, interesting. Because I remember the first one having moments where I'm just swept up with the imagery and the music just swells and like, oh, this is Zimmer's coming in moment, right? Whereas here, it works. The music is great, but I forgot it was Zimmer. I forgot until I saw the credits at the end. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right, of course. It feels like that was an intentional decision. Oh, I completely agree. It doesn't suck you out of the film and put you in the cinema to enjoy Zimmer's music. Correct. They allowed all of the other stuff to take prime position. I have no moment throughout this film where I'm thinking about that the guitar bagpipe from the first movie. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have those moments in here. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying that that's an interesting decision because Zimmer brings so much Zimmerness that, again, like I said, it kicks you out of the film and back into the cinema hall. And this movie didn't do that. We're recording this after coming out of the film. So we just watched Dune Part 2. It's still too early for me to form proper coherent thoughts other than to say, oh my God, I love this movie. Mm. <laughs> and we've tried. And I think we've managed to put our point across as to why we love the movie and all the reasons we do. But there is a lot more to dissect, mind you. There are a lot more cool things that he does which I think are incredibly clever in the way he frames certain shots and the way he uses the camera to tell the story, in the way he uses the camera to convey things without text. Yeah. It's all there. I didn't even get a chance to talk about just his camera work. I love his camera work in this one. It's, it is... <sighs> <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's beautiful. Some of his shots are... Uh, it's beautiful shots. Just oh. The use of close-ups in this one, very, very good. I also love the use of focus. How characters walk into focus, into the frame, as opposed to being followed by the focus. Here's my thing. None of the shots are particularly difficult to pull out. There's a shot fairly early on in the film when the Harkonnen army are floating up to the side of a cliff. 
it's not a hard shot. I mean, I'm sure it's difficult technically, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But it's just the way he's designed the shot. It's gorgeous. The size and scale of everything with the background being what it is. It's, yeah, I don't know, man. I can't wait to watch this again. Scale. That's the thing. It's scale. We can talk about this for hours, but yeah. if you're listening to this before you watch the movie, the one thing to look out for, and I think this is very important because a lot of films that deal with sci-fi concepts, that deal with CGI and visual effects, often don't have a fantastic sense of scale. And I think this movie uses scale tremendously because the desert is so vast. And when something is so vast and barren, it is very difficult and flat. It is very difficult to get a good sense of scale. And the way Villeneuve does it, and a lot of it has to do with focus, with shots, with lighting, he creates an immediate sense of scale. You understand completely where everyone is and how daunting the place is. Even down to the hero shots, like right at the end, there's this incredible hero shot when Paul is walking across the desert. It's incredibly biblical, but the way he pulls it off looks tremendous. My final note, I've seen some fantastic films this year. And a lot of them have been movies from end of last year <laughs> because they never showed up here. But I'm going to say that this is probably the best film of 2024 so far. I know we're end of February. Don't come at me. But this is fantastic. It's already on our top five of the year. 100%. Yeah. Easy. Without fail. I think what he's accomplished is absolutely astounding. Go watch Dune Part 2 on the biggest screen you can find. You need to watch it in IMAX. It is absolutely stunning. Let us know what you think once you've seen it. You know how to reach out. GoggleRMY are all of our social media feeds. You can also email us on podcast at goggler.my or send us a WhatsApp on the Goggler hotline 012-524-5208. Thank you so much for listening. This is the Goggler Podcast. <laughs>